a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this high strangeness packed episode, we have guest Pam Nance joining to talk to us about her paranormal encounters, her off-planet contact, um, her higher consciousness concepts, which are fascinating. So uh, let's get right to this episode, guys. Without any further ado, Pam Nance. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very special episode. We have Pam Nance on with us this evening. Pam, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity tonight. Of course. And it's it's crazy we haven't connected before this. I think Brent reached out, uh, Brent Rains, who we've had on the show, and Bob Davis, and you know all these guys, and anybody, and I said this to Bob, and I've told you this, any any friend of Brent and Bob's is a friend of mine. So, of course. And then, of course, we spoke on the phone, and you are just exceptional. Uh, it, it's amazing your story. I cannot wait to speak to you about all of this cool stuff that you've got going on and you have experienced and that you're in tune with. So for my audience that doesn't know you, uh, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a native North Carolinian, um, born and raised in the western part of the state. I went to university locally and earned degrees in religion, sociology, anthropology, and archaeology. Spent about 30 years at a leading medical school um, in statistics and public health and recently retired. But outside of my professional career, I have researched consciousness for over 40 years due to multiple experiences in my childhood and early adult life and into my um, adult life currently. And that fuels your motivation for the exceptional, for the high strangeness, because you've been entrenched right. in it since you were since you were here. It's just part of you from the beginning. So Absolutely. How early on in your life did your first experience that you can remember occur? Um, my first experience occurred at the age of four when some little beings appeared in my room uh, at the foot of my bed one night. And they first appeared to me as little playful monkeys peeping over the footboard of the bed. But under regression, I actually recalled them as gray aliens. Um, so I think they appeared in such a playful fashion so as not to scare me as a four-year-old child. Um, then at the age of five, I found that I could sit out back of my home and bilocate out of my body to a nearby mountain and sort of fly like a bird and over the terrain of the land and around the mountaintop and, and back home again. And I was able to do that for about five years. Um, and 
at 10, I encountered two beings in my room, two humanoid beings um, that came and took me aboard a craft in order to balance my karma for a past life in which I beheaded a sacred white elephant. Um, that was the message that they gave me. They were there to actually help me um, in this past life of 5,000 years before. And I can tell you as a Southern Baptist 10-year-old, I knew nothing <laughs> about the Hindu religion or sacred white elephants. Um, so that was a very a traumatic event in my life as a child because I didn't fully understand that they were actually trying to help me. It, it was frightening. Um, so those kinds of things, along with paranormal activity in the house um, that I grew up in, it was an, the main structure was an 1850s log cabin, um, which sits over an artesian river in a strategic area located near two uh, significant ley lines within sacred geometry, the serpent and Akkadian ley. Um, so I think those things lent themselves to just a higher energetic um, atmosphere on the property. And that combined with my mother and maternal bloodline um, being Cherokee Indian and Spanish Basque uh, just kind of lent itself to this early childhood of very high strangeness. Were, were your folks into any of that? Because I know you mentioned Southern Baptist, which was a question about the environment in your in your home at that time. So were, was your mom in tune with this stuff at all? She was, and she was not a, a dogmatic religious person. Uh, she encouraged us kids to go to the local Baptist church, which we, we attended because it was fun, you know, to be with other kids and attend Sunday school. And um, but she wasn't much of a churchgoer. She really... Um, believed in psychic phenomena, intuitive dreams, um, having come down from that um, Cherokee bloodline, her great-grandmother was a healer. Um, so that would have been my great-great-grandmother. She was full-blooded Cherokee, and she could actually talk fire from burns. Um, she was like a local healer in the neighborhood women who had children, maybe that, you know, were burned with the wood stove or by the fireplace, they would bring their children to her and she would speak something over them and um, do hands and, you know, I guess some type of healing touch and could talk away burns. Um, and a couple of great aunts that were midwives and root doctors and healers. And so I heard these stories as a child and my mom um, was very much a believer in all of those things. And, and I shared my experiences with her, the, the ability to bilocate out of my body, you know, as this little child. And, and she did not discourage me from doing that. She just said that it was probably something I would not want to talk about outside of the home, that not everyone mm -hmm. understood those types of things. So I, I was raised in, in a home that, you know, she did not, um, you know, keep me from from talking about these this high strangeness and actually encouraged it to a certain extent. And I had the ability as a small child to to heal animals, um, a, a cat and a dog and a neighbor's dog and 
And it just seemed very, very normal for me. I was drawn to do those things. And I really don't know how I, I was able to do it. But I had this willpower as a small child. There, there's this idea that I play around with all the time that what if an environment like this was created for children and what if all of us can actually do this stuff, you know, maybe some more talented or tapped in than others, but what if you raised a, a child or a community in this way to where it's just not, it's just normal for you and you having the support group, cause you'll have a support group from your environment either way. If you're, you know, tone on, or if you're at least a part of the ideology of the home, right. Or the environment. So with your experience though, you found that it was safe to talk about not only safe, but encouraged and loved. And she also gave you some wisdom in the fact of not maybe to tell anybody about this and you know, can't keep it to yourself uh, because she could foresee that being problematic for you in public. But you know, what do you think a, a community like that would look like? I think our world would look totally different. Um, we would care m much more for each other and for our planet and for the animals. And um, I think, you know, it would be, um, you know, like Shangri-La, you know, the stories that you hear of, you know, paradise. Um, if we were all raised in that manner to, because we're all energy beings, you know, at, a, at an atomic level, and we're, we vibrate at a frequency. And, and when you have the opportunity as a small child to nurture that vibration and that frequency and connect with a higher consciousness, it makes you think differently. Um, and it, but it, at the same time, it draws people to you that are that think the same. And that's what I encountered. I, I never felt pushed out or ostracized. I always had a peer group that had common thoughts and interest. And, and so my entire life, I've had people come into my life that were very supportive and open-minded and, and it, it's like it snowballed. Um, you know, I would just continually meet individuals that, helped me think even higher. Um, so, yeah, I think our world would be much different. Completely agree. And I've been thinking a lot along the lines as well of how empathetic UFO researchers, paranormal researchers, things like that, we're, we're really all about humanity in, in a broad way because we want to have this technology to utilize to benefit humanity, not like the lizard people that are running everything and throwing us off balance of all this stuff, <laughs> but of the actual benefits that would do stuff like that. And then whenever you talk about a society like that, a utopia, a Shangri-La, which I love that, good call, uh, then you think of like a breakaway civilization or a secret space program, and there's like a bunch bunch of human beings out there somewhere just living that type of existence. And I think that's fantastic. Just the, the idea of it conceptually. So um, let's talk about your high strangeness experience. So what um, from after childhood, dipping into your first maybe sought after experience, um, what was that like? Um. My first sought after experience. Um, oh, first deliberate, like, let's go see some cool stuff on purpose. Okay. Well, I guess that would have been um, when I sort of formalized my interest in the paranormal realm in the early 2000s. I, at that point, there were a lot of TV shows um, on about ghost hunting and equipment was readily available online to facilitate 
the communication. And so I began researching um, different pieces of equipment and methodology and, and um, of course, having had this interest from early childhood of the paranormal and um, alien sort of um, investigative ideas, I, I began investigating um, historic locations. And it really wasn't um, for any type of scare factor that did not interest me at all. I, I wasn't into the, you know, the scary ghost hunting. I was curious about where are these people? How are they coming through? How are they communicating? Um, and so I, I took those ideas and combined them with the methodologies I had learned as an archaeologist um, in layering up through time uh, at like an archaeological dig site. You go in knowing as much as you possibly can about the population. So I applied that to the paranormal research. And prior to going into these historic sites, I researched as far back as I could, oftentimes taking the site back to the original land grants of the late 1600s and researched the family trees and, and knew the population going in. And that really resonated with these people. Um, you know, they're like we are, we want to talk about ourselves. And they were very anxious to share information with me. And so that was, you know, that just lit me up when I, I started going into these sites and I would retrieve this information that I could then validate on the back end through research, through deeds and genealogy and, and even word of mouth from the management, what they knew about these people. And oftentimes I could solve mysteries for management of these, for these sites that, you know, they would be like, okay, well, we don't know what this building was used for. We don't know, you know, where's, so, you know, some secret was uh, stored. And so these people would tell me. And, and what I found that really blew me away is that they knew me. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if that was because word got out or if they actually knew me from past lives, because often I felt a real connection to these properties and that maybe I wasn't there just by happenstance that I was drawn to these locations because I'd actually lived there before. Um, but I found that they would follow me and they knew me and they would call me by name and they were happy to see me. Um, so those things really blew me away. So when you go back through records on these properties, you do physical forensic analysis, like you go through old newspapers and photos and all that have. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I do. I, I take any information that I can find um, through um, online research and actually in these little towns in the courthouse or uh, visiting people who may have had relatives, deceased relatives that lived at these sites. So were you able to physically identify any of the entities you were working with and correlate them to pictures of people that used to live there exist in the area? Oh yes, really? absolutely. Yes. Um, particularly the Wampy house um, in Monk's corner outside of Charleston. 
um, there was a lineage of the Stewart and Macbeth families that lived there over about a 300 year period. And I met them all and could actually, um, you know, assign these people who they were telling me their names, find them in the genealogies. Um, amazing. Have you yeah. ever looked at photos of those time periods from entities that you feel like you have a connection to and seen a picture of a past life that you inhabited? Yes, there was one female doctor, um, and this was very rare for the time period. She um, lived at Wampi briefly during the Civil War, and her husband was a doctor. Um, and he trained her to as a physician. She wasn't, you know, a, a degreed physician, but she practiced as a physician and was just as adept as he was in treating wounded soldiers. And and I felt a real connection to her. And she followed me quite often throughout the South. Um, her name was Elizabeth and Beth. Um, so she was kind of my buddy, but I feel like maybe I was her. Um, that's I, I pretty cool. That connection. Were yeah. you able to, have you ever done past life regressions? I mean, as far as being able to see other things and was that one though, do you feel connected to it because you can validate it through maybe a, a past life regression or is it just more of a feeling? It's more of a feeling. I have done quite a few past life regressions, and I'm trained as a past life regressionist. So I had a lot of experience during that training and subsequently. Um, but I've had, I think, multiple lives um, in the field of medicine and religion. Those are the two that tend to crop up quite often, along with American Indian. I've had a lot of American Indian. And it sounds like even in this life, you were, you connected to a doctor, a healer, a physical healer in the in another life, and then in this life, you're you know great great grandmother, correct? Uh, the great great grandmother, great great grandmother, yes, great -great yes. Uh, Cherokee, and she's a healer in this, and so that lineage, that blood is in you, you know, and you're you're called to do this kind of work. It's fascinating to me. So, yeah, and I ended up at you know thirty years at a medical school, and. Um, you know, and I'm a healing touch practitioner. So yeah, exactly. it just, I don't know. It just all kind of fell together. <laughs> well, it's great. And then, but I think a part of the healing process is your awareness to uh, look into some of this high strangeness and alternative ideas and concepts to be able to do some uh, something intangible in this life. So uh, let me ask you something I've been dying to know about ghosts. So ghosts in particular, of course, um, do they know about each other? Or do they just live like a lonely, solitary existence where they're the only thing in their field of like? Oh, they existence? know about each other. The, you can sort of envision um, envision a chat room, uh -huh. and maybe they're not all um, in the same location, but they're there together. Yeah, uh, you know as. Where does that sound? <laughs> it, it's interesting because I could just see in the future when science finally figures out how to monitor these things and you can actually see them, right? it'll be old news. It'll just be like a FLIR camera, like a night vision or something. You'll just be able to see entities and ghosts walking around. They probably already have that. It would just freak everybody out so they don't do it. They, don't, they won't give it to us, right? But one interest, or stupid thing that they would probably do in the future with this is do like a reality TV show. If they had a bunch of ghosts in a house that did not like each other, you know, and there was a lot of conflict 
conflict? Do you ever see that happen? Where they like bicker and argue where they don't care for each other? Um, I have had them contradict each other. Okay. And try to talk over each other. Um, but one ghost isn't like, I hate Bob, you know, he's a pain in the ass. Can you just exercise him and then we can all hang out? No, I haven't had that occur. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Do they have any opinions about one another? Um, not that I can recall. Okay. Um, but the, you know, they would sometimes talk over each other. Now, this is why I, I had the question of, are they aware of each other? Because if they don't say hey, Bob did the craziest thing, or hey, I know that you said that I was the one knocking, but it was actually Stephanie over there. She's here too. Um, and, you know, in that way, then they might be be able to validate that they're aware of each other. But in another, uh, if they're talking over one another, they might not know another one is talking. For the, And then maybe that's the reason for that. Not necessarily that they're just rude. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was just I'm... curious. I'd never heard anybody address it. So it was just something I was thinking about when we were talking. Um Okay, so talk to us a little bit about uh, consciousness. So what the hell is going on here? Like, what what is all of this about? Oh, dear. That's the million-dollar question. Um, I think, you know, that consciousness is something that localizes through the brain. It's it's not part of the brain. It, it localizes through, and maybe the, the circuit board is the pineal gland, the third eye, and possibly that's what sets us apart from everything else on the planet um, is our third eye and the ability to perceive and emote and imagine and have intuition um, because we have this consciousness that, that flows through us. But I also think that we're not all at the same level of consciousness or ability to perceive consciousness. If you, if you believe in past lives and the fact that some people have lived tens of thousands of lives and maybe others have only lived a few hundred, then we're not going to all be on the same level of consciousness. It's like school. You know, some people are still in grade school. Some are graduating. Um, so I think there are levels of consciousness um, and lifetimes perhaps prepare you for what you bring back each time as far as your ability to perceive this higher consciousness. And there are some theories, Rudy Child, I don't know if you're familiar with Rudy Child, but he's, um, I think, like a nuclear physicist that is a Cambridge and Harvard um, professor. He has some theories about a certain type of black hole, and it's a different type of black hole. It's not the type where everything's just sucked in and nothing comes out. The acronym is MECO, M-E-C-O. And Rudy has, has some really good uh, information online about these MECOs or this MECO po possibly being the seat of consciousness and maybe what has been referred to through the ages as the Akashic Record um, and possibly where the, the creator is located. 
um, but the seat of consciousness where everything lies. Um, and so if you start looking at, you know, quantum physics, quantum theory, and subscribe to all time existing at the same time, that there's no past, present, or future. It's just this area of consciousness and this state of being that we are tapping into in this physical form, some a little more adept at it than, than others. Um, you know, possibly that that's what consciousness is. Uh, and so do you think that the point of all of this is, is to forget that we have, that we know everything and, ex, and try and get back or do our damnedest to get back to as close to consciousness understanding as we can in, in this form and this experience, this way of going about it? Yeah, I, you know, we come in supposedly with amnesia. But each life, if, you know, if you've li lived tens of thousands of lives, you're going to retain some inner knowing, um, noesis, you know, if you look at the Platonian definition for this um, knowledge that, that lies elsewhere. We have this knowing within us. It's just like, you know, this inner knowing of what's right, what's wrong. Um, you have to pay attention to it and, and recognize these signs and these symbols and the people who are put into your path. And it's very easy to try to rationalize away um, strange things or people who, you know, speak about things that aren't mainstream. Um, but if you start paying attention to those ideas and those people, it'll kind of pull you over on this path that of this inner knowing that you've brought with you from previous lifetimes and you can build on that. So do you think that you're the same entity in each life? I think the, the energetic core is the same. Um, but each life is a different learning experience. And, you know, as we've all heard that it, we grow or we should grow within each life and, and come back, you know, knowing more and hopefully being a better human. Um, and, you know, I hope my goal is to eventually not come back to this planet, you know, to, to you know, actually go to a higher level. But I've also studied some of... Um, Michael Newton, he wrote a series of books, Lives, Life Between Lives. And, um, and his stuff makes a lot of sense to me in that we don't bring all of our energy with us, you know, as energy beings and coming into the earthly planes, which is so gravity laden, we couldn't possibly bring all of our energy in to this life. So, I think some of our energy lies out there in the all-knowing consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe as we transcend to higher levels, we, we bring more and more of that energy with us each time until eventually maybe we don't have to come back. It's fascinating. And I love the concept of um, 
reincarnation and past lives and these things, uh, some people experience it, some people don't. Some people say it's part of the process. Some people say that's good. it's hogwash, right? Uh, I like the ideas. I love this. This resonates with me quite a bit because it does feel like some sort of training ground or something like that. Now, I'm, I'm also just fine. It wouldn't bum me out at all if all this is is a ride and that we're just here to do whatever the hell we want and then move on from it, you know? And then there's just the things like a spiritual path calling or, um, you know, to be Hitler or something that's just part of your experience your chosen experience and that we're all just one thing having these little dial downs and vibration to then come back and just say yeah that's what I created that's what it is you know just like being able to walk among your art kind of a thing you know like you created this thing now let's go experience it and see what it's all about I dig on the higher purpose stuff, though. I think that if nothing else, it makes the experience here better. And if what we're here to do, if this is just a ride and we're just here to experience stuff, then that makes it better. So why not do that, right? Right. Uh, so tell me about what you think about UFOs, UAPs. What are you calling them? Are we still doing the UFO thing? Um, you know, I'm trying to, to I guess, get on board with the UAP thing, oh, but I'm still calling you're drinking them the UFOs. Kool-Aid. Yeah, <laughs> I've called them UFOs all day. I will die on that hill. I'll understand what you're talking about, but I'm going to say UFO. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a firm believer. I've had my experiences. Uh, the first craft um, that I actually saw with uh, witnesses um, was in 1967. Uh, the summer of 67, I was... Um, not yet uh, 11 years old. I was 10 that summer and I was on the front porch of the home that I described earlier with my parents and two of my siblings. Um, It was a summer evening, not yet dark. And my little five-year-old brother pointed across the road and said, look, and above the treetop sat a silver disc. Um, There was a stand of southern pines, probably a quarter mile away, and this silver disc was just sitting up there, hovering above these southern pines. My parents saw it, I saw it, my little brother, and um, a couple of other siblings. And, you know, we jumped up, we're exclaiming, we're pointing, and in the blink of an eye, it shot from east to west um, and was gone. So that was my first experience seeing a a craft. Um, And then, of course, having the recall uh, earlier of being taken on board a craft, but um, not actually, you know, seeing it in the air. But I had lots of what I thought were dreams as a child of being out in my yard and seeing craft in the sky at night and beams of light coming down, trying to find me. And I'm not so sure that they were dreams, you know, now that I'm an adult. And in one particular instance, my dad found me outside unconscious. He got up to check on us kids and I wasn't in bed and he found me outside, brought me in. Um, When I came to, my entire family was standing over me, very concerned. And I remembered what I had seen. They were like, you know, why were you in the yard? But my last recall was seeing a craft, seeing these bright lights, but I didn't want to tell them. I was so embarrassed because everyone was staring at me. Um, So I was just like, you know, I don't remember anything and just kind of shut that down. Um, The next experience I saw one of the huge black triangular crafts over this house where I currently live, 
we have a 300-year-old oak tree in our front yard. So it's about 500 feet tall. Um, it's a treasured tree and the state. But one evening, this was in 1989, it was about um, 7 o'clock. Uh, things seemed to happen to me in June. This was a June evening. Um, When's your birthday? November. Okay. So, Anybody in your uh, family's uh, birthday in June? Um, two family members. On your mom's yeah. side? My dad and my baby brother, the one that saw the craft. But I was thinking, I'm thinking that event in uh, 67 was in June. Yeah. Because we'd just gotten out of school for the summer. I mean, you get the solstice, right? Yeah, true. And so this was a June night. And then the missing time event that I had in 2015 was in June. Earlier part um, or later part of the month, do you remember? Um, later part, both, both instances were in the later part of June. Near the solstice. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But, um, so this June in 1989, I walked out to, to get the mail. I'd just gotten home from work. Um, my husband was getting ready to get in the shower. We have like a long front porch with a room that opens, uh, off the end of the front porch. And he was in that room getting in the shower. So I walk out the porch onto the walkway and I could sense something over me, just this, this heaviness of feeling that, you know, there was something over me and I looked up and there was one of those giant black triangular crafts that completely filled the entire sky, gigantic. And it was hovering not that far above that oak tree and I'm screaming for my husband, but of course, at that point, even though the door was open, he had already gotten in the shower and it was like time stood still. You know, I'm staring at this craft that's making absolutely no noise, just hovering. And again, in the blink of an eye, it shot to the south and was gone. And, you know, I just stood there thinking, oh, my God, you know, and this was when a lot of people around the world were reporting those big black triangular craft. And I thought I've seen what people have been seeing. And of course, I go running in the house and he was really bummed out that he didn't see it. Yeah. But the next evening I went back out thinking, you know, maybe I would see it again. And two little boys were walking up the circle looking upward. So I asked them, you know, what they were looking at and are looking for and they said we were hoping we'd see the ufo we saw last night no way yeah so they actually saw it but what was really interesting a year later i was um beginning graduate school and so i was having the meet and greet with the head of the anthropology department and he said oh i see you live um on the same circle that i lived on about a year ago he said, I just moved away from there. He said, you know, my kids saw a UFO on, on when we lived on that on the circle. And I said, was your kid the little redhead boy? And he said, yeah. And he said, no, I believe him. You know, he was just totally freaked out. So I had validation from the, the head of the anthropology department that, you know, that was his son who also saw the craft. But what blew me away is that this thing was gigantic. It was about seven o'clock. I live off a fairly busy road where tons of people would have been going home that evening and no one reported seeing anything. Um, but I've been told that 
not everyone sees these things. This that, is an interesting part of the process. Please. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if I just uh, was supposed to see it. And I also think about the fact that I grew up in a home over an artesian river. Well, the same thing is on this property. There's an artesian river under this house and the oak tree is gigantic. So it has to have a really good water source. Um, and, you know, there's some theory that these craft can extract zero point energy from these underground water sources. So perhaps it wasn't there for me as, it mu as much as it was for this energy source. Um, and maybe I'm just, you know, tuned into these things and was able to see it as a you know, result. Were there any reports in the area of any similar craft within five years of that time or anything? Um, well, I tuned into the 11 o'clock news that night because I just felt for certain there would have been some reports. There was nothing locally, but the, the direction the craft went in was due south. And there's a town near Charlotte, North Carolina, a small town called Salisbury. And there were reports from Salisbury of people seeing a black triangular craft. And that's right. the direction it flew in that evening. So, you know, that there was some validation there. Um, and so those events occurring and, you know, the people taking me on the board, the craft as a little child. And then when I was doing the paranormal investigating, I started getting interdimensional communications coming through um, that clearly weren't the historical timelines any longer. Um, that started happening about two years after I began the paranormal research, um, around 2010, when I asked, where are you? Where are you coming from? I started getting just strange responses like Adela um, and wormhole and portal. You know, how are you coming through portal? Um, What's your methodology for communication? It's EVP, right? Or do you do any pendulum stuff or uh, spirit box? I use a spirit box, an SB7. Um, so that's, you know, a device that sweeps radio frequency at a very high rate. Um, and supposedly, you know, the theory is it provides that white noise platform that the energy beings can come through and speak through. And, and so there's a long history of, you know, electronic voice phenomena going all the way back to, to Edison in the early 1900s. Um, and, you know, groups that have studied it over decades. So there's validity to electronic voice phenomena. And what I've read is that there certain people can use that as almost a mediumship. Of, you know, they, it, they can act as a medium. And I think that's what happens with me, that that's a really good platform for me to make communication with these spirit and interdimensional beings, but they come through very clearly on the spirit box. Um, so I use, uh, you know, just a handheld digital recorder, the spirit box, and, and I do try to tune my frequency in to the location, you know, before 
um, I start any kind of work. I, I center myself and and try to you know balance my thoughts and and have a plan as far as the type questions I'm going going to ask. Um, but about 2010, these interdimensional communications started coming through, and and that put me on the path to study quantum theory um, because I thought clearly I'm not communicating with deceased people within the historic timeline. These are beings coming through from either other planets or dimensions. Um, And once, you know, I tuned into that realm, things really ramped up um, and sort of just snowballed into this whole UFO focus. Let me ask you this. What if uh, you've never been talking to dead people and it's not a thing? It's just a thing that these entities who are able to hijack electronic equipment, your consciousness, make you remember or not, make you see that they're monkeys or not, that they disguise themselves as things that can be verified or even on, you know, uh, some ominous stuff. That's why they were monkeys to you when you were a kid. That's possibly why they appeared as ghosts because it's a little, it's a stair step into the actual, you're getting closer to what they actually are. I've had this um, idea that possibly all of this stuff is just a huge deception from something. It's either the same entity. Now, it's not in a nefarious way per se. It's misleading because it's not accurate. But maybe in the way that it's misleading is palatable to us, and it's something that we can comprehend. This also might explain why the UFO phenomena has evolved just a step outside of our what we're capable of doing um, since the beginning of time, it's kind of an evolution. And it's the same thing with you. They revealed themselves in palatable ways to then stair-step and keep you encouraged and not scared away from the idea of communication with something high strangeness. Now, the you know language in which you speak to it is different, but it might be all the same damn thing. Yeah, it could be. You know, I, I really can't say for certain that that it's not. Although I have this gut feeling that there are different layers. Um, and maybe the reason I was just led to the paranormal aspect was possibly to prepare me for, you know, advancing to a higher form of communication. Yeah. If this whole existence of ours is to be better at recognizing consciousness, perhaps one of the tools or mechanisms required or facilitated here is this part of the evolution of consciousness, because now you're looking at things totally differently. And despite what we all want to think, we're still a minority as far as this, um, our uh, desire to look into this stuff and to be actually genuinely curious about it. Um, it's still a minority. We're not out there watching, you know, football and the Real Housewives of whatever. We're reading, you know, uh, The Day After Roswell by Philip Corso and stuff. So we're thinking about, you know, are they future humans coming back in time machines? You know, these are the right. things that this is the part of the conscious experience here that we've got that we choose to fill our time with here and being presented with it in the way that you are fascinates the hell out of me. I am not an experiencer. I am fascinated by all of this stuff and I absolutely love it. If I am an experiencer, uh, they don't let me remember, but I've, <laughs> I've not had anything exceptional like that happen. I'm just fascinated by it. But for somebody to have the experiences that you have and then to take it so seriously and do such great work with it, um, I'm going to link, of course, your website. I've, I've got it pulled up here. Your website looks wonderful. I know you just launched this thing, but it looks really, really good. You did an awesome Thanks. job. When you go through yeah. the evidence on there and let's talk about about that uh, event, if you don't mind, the uh, Cape Fear River Valley that you reported to MUFON in 2018, right? I mean, you wrote it up as a substantial evidence case. That's a pretty big deal. So tell us about that, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, so in 2013, I was invited to present um, a quantum theory paranormal sort of conglomerate of evidence at DragonCon in Atlanta. Um, DragonCon is sort of the East Coast version of Comic-Con. There's a lot of cosplay and uh, different tracks, science fiction, um, and tens of thousands of people come through there. It's a three-day event. So I was fortunate enough to be invited to present um, some of my work. And when I arrived um, to make my presentation, Stanton Friedman was also there. He was presenting shortly after me on Roswell. And I recognized him immediately, introduced myself, and we became really good friends. Um, but he, he sat in on my presentation and was very impressed with the scientific approach to the paranormal and was pretty blown away by some of the um, evidence that I presented. And so he suggested that I should meet Kathleen Martin. And Kathleen is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, the mixed race couple that had the experience in the early 60s of being abducted on board a craft. And she's also been involved in MUFON for a number of years. I've got her book to come on next month. Oh, good, good. Um, so she uh, is the, actually the director of the MUFON Experiencer research team. But she had a lot of paranormal um, events happen to her as a child, along with sort of the ufology. And so Stanton thought that she and I, you know, might hit it off and introduced us. And we spoke for a couple of years on the phone and emailed each other and then had the opportunity to meet in 2015. I traveled down to um, Denise Stoner, who is also uh, an experiencer and part of MUFON, to Denise's house. And Kathleen um, came and met me there. And Denise was having a lot of paranormal activity in her home, so I did a quick investigation just to try to get to the root cause of some of that and was really successful. And um, Kathleen thought it would be great to apply the, the paranormal approach to an area of a known UFO abductee. And she introduced me to a, a man in the eastern part of North Carolina um, he and his son had been abducted in 2007, and that was in the Cape Fear River Valley area. Um, but they had continued to have um, a lot of activity at their home. Um, the actual abduction occurred by the Cape Fear River, but their house is probably two or three miles from the river. And so I guess the you know these entities you know traveled or followed them to their home. But over the course of about eight years, they had had multiple encounters and experiences. And people like Grant Cameron and John Alexander, a lot of, you know, well-known folks had visited the property and, and witnessed and experienced um, things themselves. And so Kathleen thought this would be a great place to, to go and apply my methodology. So I traveled there in June of 2015, met the family, very nice family, you know, well-grounded, um, 
the elderly mom lived next door, met her, spent the day getting to know everyone, walking the property, hearing the stories. And um, there was a, a tree out back of the, the home that had kind of been the center of a lot of activity on the property. Um, it had burst spontaneously and the flame and burned for a, a good while. They, they put the fire out and then it burst into flame again. So a lot of high strangeness around this particular tree. And when I saw it, you could clearly tell it had been burned, but it was still alive. It had green leaves and it's probably 40 or 50 feet tall. So I felt that would be a good place to set up the equipment that evening to, to conduct the investigation. So we went out around 10 o'clock. Um, I had an investigative partner with me at the time and we set up a night vision video camera behind the tree about 15 feet back to the right and then situated ourselves under the tree and had our 35 millimeter cameras, spirit box, digital recorders. And so it was myself, my partner and the property owner. And we started around 10 and just you know, approached it kind of as we would a normal investigation, asking who's here, who wants to communicate. And immediately it was off planet communication. It was not any type of historic timeline coming through. Um, they were telling us that we're back, we're above you, we're at the moon, we're behind the moon, we're circling, we see you. Um, and at that point, we noticed a very bright object to the left of the moon. There were a lot of stars that night, but this was extremely bright, much brighter than any of the surrounding stars. And so we spent quite a bit of time discussing this bright object, debating on, you know, is it a star? Is it not a star? And they're telling us we're above you. We're to the left of the moon. And, you know, we continue to ask questions. And then the next thing I recall we're standing there, we're staring at the moon, but the bright object's gone and our equipment is no longer in our hands. And I felt really sick and dizzy. And I expressed that to the other two people and they said they didn't feel well either. And, and then I was like, well, where's our equipment? And never had we turned our equipment off in the middle of an investigation. And I looked behind us and it was on the ground under the tree turned off, which made no sense. Particularly since, you know, the last conscious recall I had was, was that bright light to the left of the moon and we were asking questions. But anyway, I felt really dazed and kind of out of it. And we just sort of groggily picked up our equipment went to the video camera and it was still running. It was still recording. Um, but we gathered up everything, went into the property owner's uh, residence and his wife came running out of the bedroom. She was already in her nightgown, frantic, wanting to know where, where had we been? And we were like, well, we were in the backyard under the tree. And she said, no, you weren't. I have been looking for you. It's one o'clock in the morning. So we'd gone out at 10. It seemed as though we'd only been out there about an hour. And she's telling us it's one o'clock in the morning. 
And at that point, you know, I just felt tired. And I thought, you know, I drove three hours to get here. You know, I've been talking and interacting with people for 10 or 12 hours. I just need some coffee because I got to drive back home. And it's one o'clock in the morning. So we just started drinking coffee, loaded our equipment, came back here to my house, grabbed a little bit of sleep. My partner hit the road back to Georgia and I started reviewing my evidence and I had only an hour and 15 minutes of audio. And I found that to be really odd because if we'd gone out at 10, I should have had, you know, three hours of audio. So I was missing an hour and 45 minutes of audio. So I called my partner on her cell phone. I said, as soon as you get home, look at the video and listen to your audio because something really strange happened. I only have an hour and 15 minutes of recorded audio. Well, over the review for the next several days, it became apparent that we had, we had almost two hours of missing time along with video of these beings that were there in that tree um, and off-planet communication of the actual abduction where you can hear like the craft coming in and lots of audio. Um, we probably have 50 pieces of audio. Yeah, and I'm going to link your website in the show notes down here, guys. Go uh, Evidence One is where she's talking about the tab right there, right next to the home. Uh, go check all that out. She's got video and audio, pictures, everything. It's very, very interesting, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Crazy. it's... Uh, it's it, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that night because they warped time. They did some kind of weird time warp on us because you can hear us overlapping ourselves in yes. part of the recording. Um, I really didn't even get into that on the website because I'm still trying to tease all that audio out. But um, they brought us back at the beginning of the evening and you can hear us talking about being brought back at the same time you can hear us under the tree investigating. Oh. Um, so I think they did that just to show us what they're capable of doing, uh, because we're talking about getting off the craft. They're telling us to step out and we're saying we're back. And I'm talking about the craft has landed, but then you can hear us over running the spirit box and asking questions at the same time under that tree. It's very disorienting. I mean, I get it the time is. travel thing, and it's crazy. Uh, so w do you think that then your missing time had to do with them, like, merging the timelines or kind of fixing it because it's kind of baffled? It's like they, they bungled it, right? I don't know. You know, I don't know if they, if they bungled it or if they just did that to show us what yeah. they're capable of doing. It's a hard flex. That, look, we can take you, but we can bring you back into an earlier timeline. The kids these days, Kim, they're calling that a hard flex. Is that what it's called? That's what the kids are calling it. Yes. I just, I've got my 16 year old nephew stayed with us for the summer. So I'm all up to date on all of the kid lingo. And okay. what they call that is that sort of posturing. It's a hard flex. So oh. there you go. We both learned something new recently. Yeah. So, um, now, when you had your abduction uh, event, if you don't mind, uh, do you remember that one at all? What the craft looked like? What that experience was like when you were 10? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, when I was 10. 
wasn't that the was it 10 because did they take you when they appeared as monkeys when you were four um they may have taken me i don't know i just remember them peeping up over the foot of the bed and then in the regression seeing them as the gray aliens and the curtains at my window kind of blowing and that's about as far as i got to in, in a regression for that event but um when i was 10 um, I've had spontaneous recall as well as being put under regression. I don't remember seeing the craft from like the, the ground, but I remember being on board the craft and being on a table and the, the two beings that took me from my room, a male and a female working above my head um so you know they told me they were there to balance my karma for this beheading of a sacred white elephant so i don't know if what they were doing you know in the head area was part of that rebalancing but two days later i woke when i woke up i had from the neck up my head was bright red just incredibly red like a radiation burn or something yeah, like in close encounters of the third kind and my parents took me to the doctor the doctor could not explain it he gave me like this topical cream and i was out of school for two weeks after that because i couldn't go to school i looked like a freak and it was, and it was did, only from the neck up and your shirt line was traced and all that stuff like it happened yeah. whenever you're wearing the same article of clothing yeah so do you remember and, getting from them being standing up and taking their hands and then getting on the craft? Do you remember how that anything in between that, how you got on? Was there a door? Did you phase through the wall? What what happened was, so I'm lying in bed and they appear, they're both, they're dressed in black bodysuits, mm. very beautiful people, a male and a female. He had shoulder length hair. They had black turtlenecks, black pants, uh, look like sort of, you know, tight fitting clothes, like a bodysuit, um, light brown hair. She had shoulder, you know, hair down below the shoulders, bangs, but really chiseled features and big dark eyes, not like the huge almond shaped eyes, but bigger than our eyes. I remember the eyes were so dark, uh, like all pupil, um, but he was holding a giant timepiece. And he said, when it counts down 60 seconds, we're going to take you. And I could see this timepiece counting down. The, the, With ticks on it, like a clock, like something we would use. It as looked a like piece? a giant, st like a giant pocket watch. Like Flavor but, Flav? You got abducted by Flavor Flav. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It was huge. He was holding it up and I watched the hands tick down and they floated me out. I remember being floated out through the window and then I'm on board the craft on this table. Through the open window? Through an open window. And it was summer, um, you know, probably, well, we weren't out of school yet. It was probably late May. So it was warm enough we had our windows open and I lived in the country and no one had screens and, you know, we left our door unlocked and that kind of thing. Uh, um, in May, I mean, you're still pretty close to June. So that's interesting. These things yeah. all seem to happen around June for you. 
Yeah. And then we saw the silver disc like a month later. Yep. Um, so, you know, I remember quite a bit about that, but I was so traumatized when I came back um, because I thought they had actually taken my head. Yeah. I thought I'd been beheaded. And my parents had a really difficult time settling me down that night because I didn't think I had a head. I know that sounds bizarre um, because I was telling them, you know, I was able to talk, but I said they beheaded me. So I think I got the story mixed up about my beheading this sacred white elephant in a past life and then working on my head. You know, this is part of it. And this is what's so weird about all of this stuff. I've heard of the concept lately and more you hear about this. Uh, prison planet idea and then whenever um, I've talked recently with uh, Ryan Ryan Musgrave Evans you've got to check that guy out his episode is fantastic his book is wonderful but uh, experience or dialed up to 11 like you 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 guys should talk I'll set that up for you um, okay. he was talking about um, just all of this stuff it it could be just one gigantic deception it could be one huge interaction with us that we are just like a resource or like livestock to these things. Uh, and they basically, yeah, they're nice to you. Um, but maybe they're just misleading in the way that they tell you stuff that how they appear, like I said, and the evolution that that appearance took, but even to go so far as to create a narrative about some potential spiritual karma that you've got. Um, and then you being confused with the beheading, could be the implant that the you know the mem- the screen memory that they put in your mind kind of overlapping with your perception of reality there can be like some wires crossed there in the memory process i've heard of these types of confusing events happen to people where they come back with a sense of clarity they then either later regress and find out it was completely nefarious and something totally different another interesting part is um so you saw grays when you were 4 you saw Nordic or more humanoid type bipedal people. They could walk among us minus the eyes. Absolutely. And maybe even you wouldn't notice the eyes. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. If they were wearing those huge sunglasses or something like that, like yeah. um, Beyonce or whatever. Yeah. They would look totally normal. So um, do you, have you been visited by any other type of entity? Um. Well, I've been visited by those two people again. They were actually on board the craft the night of the missing time in 2015. The two of them and two other um, beings, a, a male and a female. So that night there were four on board the craft that I recall, two males, two females. And they looked humanoid. That's how you were able to determine their sex. Absolutely. Um were there any little gray automatons running around, like sweeping the floor or anything? No, they, they were humanoid. They, they had the light brown hair, the big eyes. They had uniforms on, um, not the dark, not the black uniforms or the body suits I saw as a 10-year-old. These, the two men had on these beautiful royal blue body suits with a yellow chevron emblem emblem on the um, breast side, on the left side of their chest. And one had more bars than the other. So, and he seemed to do more of the downloading of information to me than the other man. The women sort of stood off in the background, but they had these beautiful, almost like abalone shell body suits on, just iridescent colors and, and, 
they had necklaces on that were in a chevron um, pattern. So that meant that means something, the chevron thing, you know. But um, so I remember them quite well on board the craft. I, I had spontaneous recall after that event. I would wake up with a lot of anxiety and these memories kind of playing across my field of vision like a movie. Um, so I sought out some psychotherapy with a really open-minded woman who um, actually helped me quite a bit. And then I participated in this study. Um, it's using Hiram, high, um, let's see, what is it? Uh, encephalograph encephalographic uh, resonance mirroring. It's supposed to balance the two hemispheres of your brain. It's yeah, great. Yeah, like hemisync. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for um, soldiers coming about with PTSD. And um, so I was able to participate in a study at the medical center where I worked. And some memories came through while I was undergoing Hiram. Um, and then with acupuncture, um, the my acupuncturist did a lot of third eye needlework and that opened uh, additional memories. And then I was regressed by Kathleen Martin. And so over time, I've recalled a lot about what happened on board that night. Um, did they give you any information from, uh, or did, what did they tell you about where they were from? They told me that they're from Alpha Centauri. Okay. And what did they tell you why they were here? They have been in touch with our planet for over 200,000 years. And they actually came here and stayed for a short period of time on their way to Alpha Centauri. They had to leave the planet that they were previously on because it could no longer sustain life. So they actually were here for a period of time about 200,000 years ago and that they've known me throughout all my lifetimes and I've interacted with them before and possibly ancient Egypt, um, some memories come through about that. But anyway, so periodically they've come back to just kind of check on me. And so two of those people were the people when I was a 10 year old. Um, but they, they communicated they were from Alpha Centauri they're here now because the sun, and they showed this to me on this glass handheld smart pad is the best way I can describe it. They had this, this glass pad and they showed me images of the sun and how the sun's vibratory and energetic patterns are changing. And as the sun's energy patterns change is pushing all the planets in our solar system further out into the galaxy. And as we're being pushed, the energy on our planet is, and the other planets, it's also changing the vibration. Um, and that to survive this upcoming change that is going to continue to happen and at an increased rate, humans have got to change their vibration. Um, and part of my sort of mission is to help people 
raise their vibration and consciousness. Um, and I guess maybe that's what I'm doing just by talking. You're definitely doing it. You're you're amazing. You're fascinating. You're delightful. You're incredibly sweet. I love Southern people, by the way. I'm a Southern boy myself, so I I just resonate with you more than you know. Um, so I um, no, I I think all of this is fascinating. It's the way that you approach the information and, and your perception on it. Like I said, you are a delight. You're you're you as a human being, but the experiences that you've had are just insane and incredible. And um. I, I want to know more, but I think that we should save that for the next time that you come on. So I'm going to, of course, link all of the ways to find you down in the show notes. Um, if you, Is there any other way besides your website that you'd like to be found? Um, that's pretty much it Okay. for the time Perfect. being. And I have an email contact on the, the last tab, the um, coming tab where I'm listing some upcoming videos. Uh, so if folks want to contact me through that email address, they feel free to. Absolutely. Well, I will link all of that down there. Uh, And thank you so much, Pam. You are an absolute delight. Let's definitely do this again. I'm going to have to have you and Brent and Bob, and we're going to do one of these panel things. I know I keep threatening to do that, but I'm I'm really seriously working on it. So yeah, I uh, heard from Bob today. So he and our communication. Yeah. Yes. And we talked the other day as well. I think the same day, uh, the day before. So I talked to Brent, Bob and you all in the same week. It was a wonderful week. It was a magical <laughs> week. So uh, Pam, thank you so much. This was absolutely My pleasure, delightful. Brendan. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you for having me. Damn, all that stuff is so freaking cool. I love the hierarchy as well. We didn't even, there's so many things, guys, that we did not even get to. We talked for a while after this as well. Uh, she will definitely be back on. She has so many amazing stories and uh, expertise angles to bring to any conversation about this stuff. Uh, so all of the ways, of course, to find her, her website is linked down in the description below. Please just go click down there to check that out. As well as links below is the music that you're listening to right now, good buddy Vinny the Saint. He has uh, all of his music in a link down there. Go check that thing out. Show my boy Vinny some love. Awesome music. Thank you, Vinny. Uh, also down in the show description uh, is the link to our website, which is just expandingrealitypodcast.com. Uh, that is where links to all the socials are, um, your Patreon, all that good stuff's over there. Um, and if you need to email the show, of course, uh, expandingrealitypodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, we're not hard to find. Uh, just reach out, guys. I love hearing from y'all. I have the coolest and most amazing listeners in the world. You guys are just along for this amazing ride with me, and it's been a hell of a ride so far. And as you can tell by this episode, it is only getting more amazing. So uh, go out into your week this week, guys. Just uh, pick up a piece of litter. uh, Get out of that left-hand lane. uh, Do something nice for somebody else. Just hold a door open, buy a cup of coffee. You know, doesn't need to be anything major, but it makes a major impact. Uh, Also, just go out into your world around you. Look for all of this cool stuff because we do live in an amazing place. And above and beyond anything else, y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.